Good morning. Wow, I'm surprised there are so many here. I, you know, I, I never know how many are here until I get up here because I'm in the front row. But you know, I'm glad we opened this morning with, Oh, come all ye faithful, because you truly are the faithful. <laughs> the, the, the few who got out of your PJs, uh, left the comfort of your living room to brave the cold and come out here to worship our Lord this morning. Well, our passage this morning is uh, a familiar one. We read it last night. Uh, it's one you hear, you hear every year uh, when you watch Charlie Brown's Christmas special. Uh, so we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to be looking, primarily zooming in at what the angels say to the shepherds, but we'll read uh, beginning at verse 1. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. One of the things that 
we can ask ourselves when we come to the Bible is, what is this book? What primarily is the Bible? What is its purpose? And for some of you, you've, you've asked that question before, you've come to conclusions. Some of you maybe perhaps have never asked the question. But I think if you ask the question to 25 people here, you, you might get five or six or seven or maybe 25 different answers to that. I think for a lot of people, the Bible is a book of uh, do's and don'ts. Maybe for some of you this morning, the Bible is a rule book, something that you try to follow and try your best to uh, accomplish. For some of you, maybe the Bible is just a, a, a storybook with people to emulate. Maybe stories that have been passed down and, uh, and, are, and are kind of like fables uh, to, to read and to enjoy and, and to try to uh, perhaps learn good qualities from. But the Bible speaks of itself as primarily a history of redemption. The Bible is primarily, before it is any of those other things, certainly it has people in there that sometimes we ought to emulate. In fact, for every human being other than Jesus, they always come with flaws. So we don't want to emulate them completely. Certainly the Bible has law in it. There's a whole section uh, that's called the law. But all of it is put together, if you will, as a history of how God brings about redemption from the fall. Jesus comes along, and as a grown adult, after he's already risen from the dead, speaks to some of his disciples and says, don't you know that the entire Bible is really about me? The whole Bible from start to finish is about me and how I bring redemption to this world and ultimately to the entire creation. That's what the Bible is. And so when you come to the Bible, you think of it as a history of redemption. It kind of unfolds like a great novel would like Lord of the Rings or something like that, a, a, a novel, even Star Wars. You think of a, of a story that has some kind of fall, some kind of evil come into the world, and you're waiting for some redeemer to come along and to solve all of the problems. And that's actually what happens in history, in the history of the world. When we go to the first chapter of the Bible, you have there God creating everything, and almost immediately you have human beings stepping out of the bounds that God created for us and deciding that we want to be God. Immediately you have what's called the fall. And God could have, if he wanted to, simply destroyed humanity. It was within his right. He told them, if you sin, if you break my law, the, the result is death. But instead of bringing the hammer down, God instead brought a promise. 
Yes, the fall would bring corruption. Yes, the fall would bring sadness and sorrow and alienation. Sin would destroy in many ways our relationship with God. But God said to the serpent, Satan, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her offspring. He will crush your head one day. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel. He said there's going to be a person, a man, who one day will come from the seed of this woman, Eve. You will bruise his heel in this battle, but he ultimately will crush your head. That in seed form is the first gospel and the first message of hope that one day a conqueror would be born in history, in real history, who would reverse everything that happened in Eden and crush the head of Satan. And the rest of the Old Testament unfolds this narrative, primarily in the history of the nation of Israel. You see bits and pieces coming out of who this conqueror would one day be. And so when we come to this passage and we see the angels come out and say, this day, today, is the day that it happened. We, we see that even for the shepherds, though it was a sudden event that they weren't prepared for, these guys were just watching their flocks, they had no idea that Christmas was coming. They didn't know that today was the day, but when the angels come on the scene and say, this day is the day that the Savior is born, we can see that this day has been a long-awaited and long-prepared-for day that has been unfolded all throughout the Old Testament that now has finally come. And we know by Luke's account that it's no fairy tale because he opens this day, the day that it happened, by placing it in exact time in history. This isn't once upon a time some fairy tale that would be nice if it would be true. No. In history, in the hills of Bethlehem, a city that I've been to, on the map that you can find today, when Caesar Augustus, a man who was emperor in Rome, and Quirinius, Luke places all of these historical figures in there to say, this is history. On that day in human history, the Savior came. I want to just briefly this morning look at a couple of things that the angels say. Verse 11, they say to the angel, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That combination of titles Savior, Christ, and Lord only appears here in the entire New Testament. 
Nowhere else are those words put together than that night on the lips of the angel. I want to look at those three titles because there's a lot packed into those titles. The baby has already been given his name. The angel, Gabriel, said you will call his name Jesus. Jesus was a common name. A lot of of guys were named Jesus in that day because it was basically Joshua, which is a well-known name. It was a name a lot of parents gave to their children. And it's a name that means the Lord saves So it's a true name, it's a good name, it's something that, again, reflects back on the God who saves, but only in Him does it truly apply. Because this one is the Lord who would save. So He's already been given the name Jesus. But here now we see that this baby named Jesus on the lips of this angel will be a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when we think about what these titles mean put together in this one person, then this person is the only one who could be the conquering seed. The first title they give him is Savior. Now, when we think about Savior, uh, we can have all kinds of ideas that are conjured up in our mind, but to the Jewish person, there was only ever one Savior. To the Jew, only God can save. Only God can truly save. So immediately, this one who is coming is God, somehow. Isaiah 43, now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Israel understood there can only be one Savior, and it couldn't be a human being. It must be God. And so somehow this child, this baby that they were to go visit, is God. And yet he's not only the Savior who is God, but he is also the Christ. That word Christ means anointed one, or chosen one, or Messiah. This baby would be the Messiah. And interestingly, they knew that the Messiah would be a child of David, a future son of David. God promised David that in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. God said, David, when your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers long after you die, David. I am going to raise up your offspring after you who's going to come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. 
He is going to build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the Jewish person knew that this Messiah, this chosen one, was going to be a son of David. And that's exactly where Jesus was born, in the city of David. Because whether you traced his line through Mary, who was obviously the woman he was born to, or whether you traced his line through Joseph, his human father who adopted him, who was not his real father in that sense, in a human sense, whether you traced it that way, he would be of the lineage of David. And the reason they had to go back to Bethlehem, 90 miles from Galilee, Nazareth, is because Joseph was of the lineage of David. And so this one that they were going to visit in the city of David was the Christ. He was the one who would be the son of David. And perhaps the most striking title to readers of Luke's gospel is this third one, the title Lord. The reason this one would be the most striking to the readers of Luke's gospel is because this title, the Lord, has been used 20 times already, and every single time it was used to refer to God. So this baby, somehow, if Savior wasn't clue enough that the Messiah would be both man and God, then the title Lord should hammer that home once for all. Jesus, the Messiah, is somehow God come to earth. He's God, somehow born as a human. And that's because he had to be, because only God can save. And that's exactly who the prophet Isaiah told the world would be the case 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Isaiah says this, we quoted it this morning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isn't it interesting that the first people to hear this message were the shepherds in the darkness upon whom the glory of God shone. For to us, Isaiah says, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to, listen to how all of these titles are in here. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All of those titles are in Isaiah's prophecy 700 years before. This person would be a child born. He would also be Almighty God. He would also be the son of David, the Messiah, and he would also be Lord the Lord of hosts. Hosts means armies of heaven. 
He is the Lord, the commander of the angelic army in heaven. And how fitting is it that on this night, when the angel of the Lord announced that this child had been born, that the armies of heaven showed up. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. How many in that angelic army were there that night? But they were there praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That night, when Jesus, that baby, was born, the armies of heaven came out praising the Lord who sent them, who was, in some sense, also that night, the baby in the manger. Their commander was in a, in a shepherd's stall, wrapped in swaddling cloths. If you look at the whole birth narrative in Scripture, there are angels everywhere. Just go back and, and look at all the appearances of angels. You would think if you read the birth narrative of Jesus that, that angels are just appearing left and right all throughout Scripture, but that's not true. But you read that, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah first, then he appears to Mary, then an angel, perhaps Gabriel, appears to Joseph. And then after Jesus is born, the angel of the Lord warns Joseph to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt, and here, to these shepherds in the field, there's not only one angel, but a multitude of the heavenly host. What a sight it must have been. One New Testament scholar says this, no other biblical personage apart from God himself was so celebrated and so praised. Think about Jesus' birth and how celebrated it is. He said, go throughout the rest of the Bible. No one else is praised like he is. Abraham wasn't. Moses wasn't. Samuel wasn't. David wasn't. Jesus was. Well, if Jesus is all of this, if he's almighty God, if he is the commander of the armies of heaven, if he is Savior, meaning God in the flesh, if he is King David's greater son, then why is it that the sign that they're given is that it would be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger? What kind of crazy sign is that? When God gives people signs, he says, look, this is what is going to happen, and in order to prove that, that I'm true, that my word is true, I'm going to give you this sign, and the sign will back up what I'm saying. And here you have this message that in Bethlehem on this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is there, and here's the sign that you'll know it's him. It's a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How weird is that? I mean, you would think that the sign would have been, here's the sign that you know it's him. You will find a mighty warrior, a man of greater statue, stature than you've ever seen, wearing gold-plated armor with a sword and a shield and wielding power the likes of which this world has never seen. But no. 
you will find a helpless baby in a manger. See, before Jesus gave us many signs of his omnipotence, he would give the world the sign, many signs that he was the one. But before he turned water into wine, before he healed the leper, before he calmed the wind and the waves, before he fed the 5,000, before he walked on water, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, before he gave signs of his omnipotence, the sign that he gave the world was not one of ultimate power, but of profound weakness. Friends, that was Jesus. Our Savior, the only one the world has ever known, the one who is Almighty God, was born in utter weakness, just as we all are. It's interesting that when this day rolled around, it was a day that was promised for untold years. And there were many, many, many prophecies given about who this one would be. We've already looked at some of them. No one else in all of human history was so overwhelmingly predicted as Jesus Jesus would be the righteous branch from David. Jesus would be the ruler of the tribe of Judah. Jesus would be the stump of Jesse. Jesus would be the seed of the woman. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus would be a prophet like Moses. Jesus would be a shepherd of God's people. Jesus would be the son of man coming before the ancient of days. Only Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. But there was one prophecy, if you will, that was given perhaps more than any of the others. Only it wasn't given audibly. The prophecies that they received audibly from prophets numbered in the hundreds, perhaps in the thousands. I mean, we only have so many written down. But the inaudible prophecy, if you will, the prophecy that screamed that this Messiah would be something other than a warrior was something that they saw millions of times. And that was the prophecy of the Lamb. As Abraham told Isaac that day on Mount Moriah, my son, God is going to provide a Lamb. Have you ever wondered why the first people that the angels appeared to that night were shepherds? Those shepherds, scholars are unanimously convinced, those shepherds camped out on the hills by Bethlehem, raising those flocks and guarding them by night, were guarding sheep that were specifically raised to be sacrificed on the altars in the temple. People wonder why they were shepherds that were first told. And a lot of people say, well, it's because shepherds were the biggest, the most despised in society. They were the outcasts in society. And so by 
revealing it to them first, God is saying salvation is for everyone. And that's probably true. But if you think about the fact that these shepherds were raising sheep that were destined for temple sacrifice, then maybe it makes even more sense. Because last week, a member of the church came up to me and said, hey, you know, I was talking to the kids in children's church, and one of them said to me, what did they do with all of the sheep? See, these guys were guarding all of these sheep, and and she said, they they asked me a question. When, When they left and went to go visit Jesus, what did they do with the sheep? And they're supposed to be guarding them. And I said, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean... What did they do? Just leave them for the wolves and the thieves and everything they were supposed to do, around the clock guarding, and then these angels come and they run with haste to see this baby in a manger. And the more I thought about it this week, I thought, you know what? The language seems to suggest that they left them behind. Because Luke says they immediately ran with haste to see the baby in the manger. How amazing is that? Their livelihood, the sheep that they're guarding with their lives because it's what they make a living off of is what they left behind to run to this manger. And if you think of it that way, then what they left behind were shadows of the reality. They left behind these sheep so that they could go and visit the lamb. It was... That day, the most anticipated day in history, that a king was born who was also the lamb. The lamb who would one day be led to the slaughter. And isn't it interesting, as I close this morning, that the angels who sang that morning in Bethlehem will one day sing again in honor of the lamb. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He went and took the scroll. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth and I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders I heard the voice of many angels myriad numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain. Christian, this morning, as you celebrate, celebrate the birth of your king, who was also your lamb. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And we thank you for that day.
when your son, destined for the cross, was born in a manger for us. Please impress that upon our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.